morning and for the next 30 minutes or so, we're just going to share something around the Word of God. We're a Christian church that believes that the Word of God is living and active, that endures forever, and that it has a relevance, an incredible relevance, into 21st century culture. And uh, so we trust that God will bless His Word, and we're concluding this morning our summer series called The Stories That Live. And as Christian says, clearly, during the six weeks holiday particularly, there's some toing and froing, people coming and going, and if you have been able to go away for a little time, then... Uh, we trust that you've been blessed and refreshed. But the thing is that we're also very intentional about keeping church on track. I told you a story about a friend of mine that decided in his wisdom that in his church, once he closed the church down completely for six weeks, I mean completely, no services, nothing. I said to him, what was it like when you first started back? He said, it was dreadful, never again. Because it was like starting the church all over again. You see, the power and momentum is very important. And we come to a season of, of, um, of, of life where we're, the roads are going to get cluttered in the morning again because all schools have started, you know. I'm going to be puffing and blowing because all of a sudden, where it's been a nice, easy road over the last few weeks, thousands of cars are going to seem to appear. Kids, walk to school, all right? And, uh, and uh, we're praying for you, by the way. We're going to be praying for the kids on Tuesday at the prayer day that God will give you an amazing term. And college and uni, you'll just be incredibly blessed. And uh, school teachers in our church as well, that you'll be blessed. Alison said to me, I said, my Alison, primary school teacher, says, Dad, I had a moment of panic last week. Could I do it again? You know, because they've not been there for a few weeks. Interestingly, I felt like that. As a preacher, I'd not preached for four weeks. And I thought, I wonder if the juices are going to flow this week and get ready for this message. <laughs> Don't worry, they're okay. I think <laughs> that's for you to judge over the next few minutes. So here we are, stories that live, and uh, we're believing that the momentum that we've had is going to continually take us forward into all that God wants to do. And some great stories this morning rolled out from Christian. I'm proud of you, Amelia, for going to Albania, and it's going to be awesome, and we all are, and uh, we bless you for all of that. So Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, that said, stories invite us into a world larger than ourselves. That's why we've told them. And for a moment, I want to recap, because on week one, Christian led us off with his briefcase. And the story was that God's interested in every detail of our lives, and he really is. And then Josh took us on a journey. It seemed a fraught journey, because he got lost. And so he posed the question, which we sometimes do in our spiritual life as well, about what am I doing here? And he reminded us that God is always in control. And then we went to Paul, and Paul talked about the vase that had been smashed, and some of his hopes and aspirations and dreams and passions as a Christian seem to be in smithereens lying on a floor, but God has restored them, put them back together. And then he took Acts 27, remember the viper on the hand, and shaking off anything that would stop us being what God has called us to be. Steve, in a slightly different form, was interviewed by Christian and told us about his journey of faith and finance, a man that's been called as an entrepreneurial gift to the marketplace. And, uh, and Steve sort of reminded us that that's not an always easy call. It's been costly for him and Lynn at times. God's blessed them amazingly. And then last week, Andy uh, took us to Psalm 23, but also the story of Elijah. And he posed the question, what do we do when life seems unfair? And he drew some illustrations from his own story that reminded us of God's provision and presence and people and purpose. He's been trying well, you see. And, uh, <laughs> so, and uh, <clears throat> it was a great message, Andy. And uh, we thank the Lord for speaking. And these stories have brought hilarity. I was listening, Josh, to your story on iPod, man. I felt sort of, at one point, pain for you, but in the other sense, I had a bit of a laugh because I thought, <laughs> you know, this guy's trawling around London. He didn't even know where he is. 
all got to be in here, mate. <laughs> but they brought hilarity. They brought vulnerability. Stories do. That's why some people aren't very good at telling stories because they never know how to give themselves away. Stories have brought honesty and difficulty, dependency, but they've also brought victory. Have you noticed that the people that have shared have seemed to glean most when things have seemed worst? And they have not brought triumphantly stories that have denied the pain and anguish that sometimes they've had to walk through, but they brought a wonderful testimony to victory. Romans says, in all these things, read the context, the things of life, we're more than conquerors through him, as we've been reminded this morning, who loved us. And so I, I, I want us not to take for granted that. You see, because there are some churches around that have got a great preacher in the church, but when he's on holiday, it's chaos. Okay, and we're not, pre- we're not building this church about, around a preacher. We're be- building it around the Word of God, where people capably can communicate the Word of God. And I honor the guys that have shared so well over the last few weeks. And I'm going to try and do my best this morning to add a little bit more value to that journey. If you want a title for this morning, it's God's treasure chest. Treasure chest. And my, that's going to be hard work if I keep getting that wrong. <laughs> but I read somewhere in a commentary uh, in the margin of 1 Corinthians 1, which we'll read in a moment, about God choosing the foolish things, the weak things. And the commentator alongside it put this was God's treasure chest. Christian reminders that almost invariably God works through people. And then someone said to me recently, we live in a photograph generation. And we do. But of course, most, most photographs are taken di- digi- digitally nowadays. <laughs> Another word. <clears throat> I'm out of practice, you see. You're going to have to bear with me. <laughs> it's that Cornish sunshine. It's just been sort of doing my head in. <clears throat> no, I'm okay, thanks. What it is, it's, it's a hoarse voice, because a slight dis- discretion, but Arena FC's season started yesterday. We had a magnificent 1-0 victory. And I must, lo- I must stop learning to shout on a touchline when I've got to preach twice on a Sunday. You know. <laughs> the roar that went up on that touchline was something to experience. I tell you, it was fantastic. A photographic generation, often on phones and computers. So last night, Alison and Ryan came out to our house and... We were sharing a few photographs of the summer, and we did it all on, on tablet, computer, and phone. But I want to take you to the photo album this morning. And uh, because for many of us, we've got loads of albums around. Young people are saying, what's one of them? I'm going to show you. Okay. But for many of us, we've got photo albums. And uh, I brought one with me this morning. It's from our house. And we've got scores of these. Because years ago, we used to take photos with proper cameras. I'm so old, I can remember going on holiday with mum and dad. Who can remember the brownie camera? The little box camera. And then we had these little things where you used to put a cassette in. Who used to send the photos off to True Print in the envelope? Yeah! <laughs> and if you gave another 40p, it was express delivery. It meant four weeks instead of five. You know? And you get the envelope back and, oh, they've not turned out or you've chopped somebody's head off. But the thing is that years ago, somebody gave me a real good camera. It was one of these. And our kids have spent the whole of their childhood saying, hurry up and take that photograph. (laughs) But we took photographs and we put them in what we call a photo album. No iPhones, no iPads. I know it's incredible if you think that this was ever a world. We put them in an album. 
We've got scores of these in our house, and we've got boxes with photographs in as well. So, just recently, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge had their first photographs taken of lovely Prince George. And they were done by her dad, and professional photographers got very sniffy, didn't they? Oh, in the papers, he, he took the photographs into the sun, he didn't know what he was doing, I mean, they should have had me doing it, and all of those. But the reality is that most photographs are average. But they tell a story. So occasionally in the pie household, even now, we have a get the old photos out night. And uh, recently we did it with uh, Miriam's boyfriend, uh, Johnny. And we got the old photos out because we illustrated to him that even when Miriam was four foot tall, she had six foot long legs. You know. <laughs> she was leggy. She still is, if some of you have seen her. She was leggy. And so we looked at the old photographs and we rolled about laughing. It was incredible. It's fascinating to know, friends, that photography has gone on a pace. And that, interestingly, the guy that discovered digital photography worked for Kodak. And he went to the Kodak boss and said, I've come across, no, it's never going to work, mate. And Kodak last year were in liquidation in America. Here's the truth to the church, friends. If we don't innovate, we're stagnating. And why are churches dying all around us? Because they've said no to innovation. Oh, no, I don't want to do it like that in our church. I mean, you know, the music's too loud. And they've stagnated. Nobody's going anymore. But God's raising up churches, friends, where people want to go to them because they've innovated into the now prophetic purposes of God. So I'm going to give you three, uh, sorry, four Bible texts. Then I'm going to take you on a photo gallery for a few minutes. And then I'm going to give you seven statements to close. And if we try to go to perhaps five past 12, I'm not going to go too long. Just stay with me. Don't walk out at 12 o'clock. But I'm going to try and finish it as quickly as I can. So here's the four Bible Bible verses. Firstly, Psalm 139 and 16. And Chris is going to put put them up for me as we go. Psalm 139 verse 16. You saw my unformed body. All my days were ordained for me. All the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I believe that scripture. The intentionality of God upon our lives. Number two, Psalm 145, verse 4. Not only intentionality, but connectivity. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Or as Peterson says in the message, generation after generation stand in awe of your work Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. I'm going to come to it in a moment, but if you're a Christian parent here today that sometimes get a bit pumped about your kids, don't just say to them, you've got to go to church on Sunday. Tell them a few stories about God's goodness in your life and pass it on from one generation to another. Psalm 38 verse 8, sorry, Psalm 138 verse 8. It says there, the Lord will vindicate me, but in the Older translation of the NIV says the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The intentionality of God, the connectivity of generations leading to the destiny of God's purpose over my life. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And then into the the New Testament to 1 Corinthians 1 and again from the Message Bible. Right at the end where Paul's talked about the power of the cross. He says, take a good look, friends, at what we were when you were calling to this life. Uh, Can we get that in the... I'll read it from the message, Chris. 
I'll read from the message. Take a good look, friends, at what you were when you were called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and even abuses? God chooses nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean state, a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have a saying, if you're going to blow a horn, then blow the trumpet for God. Not many wise, not many, I'm not saying there's none. Whilst I was on holiday in Cornwall, I visited a church that came out of the pioneer spirit of the Countess of Huntington. Over 250 years ago, this aristocratic lady had a wonderful born-again experience and poured her resource into planting churches. She used people to plant over 50 churches around the nation. Great move of God. That church exists today out of the legacy and estate of the Countess's monies all those years ago. Not many wise, but the fact of the matter is, friends, we rejoice that on the throne of our nation for over 60 years, we've got a queen that loves Jesus Christ with a passion. If you've heard a queen's address over the last four or five years, if anybody shared the gospel, then her majesty has. She loves Christ and she loves his words, but not many. Thank God for millionaires that are in church. And let's not get sniffy, friends, about people that have done really well in life. That God has used in an amazing way. We don't want an inverted snobbery of, well, we don't want any of them in the church. We want everybody in the church. In other words, the down and outs, but the people have done incredibly well as well because they're all lost and they all need Christ. But not many. And it was the great American president, Abraham Lincoln, that says, God loves ordinary people. He's made so many of them. If anything else, if nothing else this morning, friends, this story is about an ordinary person, me. And sometimes people allow ordinariness to be a lid over their life. I've heard people say to me, well, I couldn't give a testimony because my story is so ordinary. I've had people say, I, I don't think I'm, I can get baptized because my story is so ordinary. Let me say to a young person today <clears throat> that if your story is one of being brought up with a Christian influence over your life and your family, and you've given your life to Jesus as a young person, and you've not had to go and do this and do that and the other, and I'll come back to that in a moment, you've got an amazing story that needs to be sealed with the power of baptism, expressing it publicly for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. God loves ordinary people. So let me go to the photo gallery for a moment. Now, the problem with photos is that you've had people around to your house, they won't tell you because they're enjoying your coffee and cake, but you've bored them silly after 30 minutes. You know, I'm sat at the coffee table. Sharon sat at the coffee table. He sat at the coffee table. So we're going to run through these pretty kicks. I don't want you to go to board. All right. But they reflect a bit of a story. So number one, Chris, that's me. Okay. And, uh, and the, some of them are a bit grainy because this is when I'm 11. And I'm just going to senior school, William Sharp, just across next to what was Bill the Grammar. But I put it up there because at 11 years of age, <clears throat> I mean, gone to Sunday school and Sunday night church. And thanking God for my mum and dad's consistent intake in me. The penny dropped. At 11 years of age, on February 28th, 1967, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, I'll follow you. See, he takes ordinary people. That's 19 Elston Drive, Strelly. And me just starting senior school. Next one. These guys don't think I could play football, but I'm telling you, I could. <laughs> okay. 
So in the 60s and 70s, there was a great Russian goalkeeper called Lev Yashin, and he always used to play in black. And you see, impressionable teenagers were even taught about that, and I always used to wear a black top because I loved Lev Yashin. And uh, that's me playing in a blokes league. I put that up because the call of God came to me at 17, 18 years of age in a great move of God in a youth meeting. And uh, the call of God is very difficult to explain, but you know when you've experienced it. And there may may have been times before that where football came before God. There's never been a time since when it's come before God. Next next photo. Um, This is a grainy photo because the little lad at the front is our Simon, who's 42 next October. So, and some of you know Simon. But that's the seven of us. I tell you, I come from a big family. Ellen don't look very happy, but it, you see how times have changed. This is Sunday afternoon. We've all got ties on. You know? And there's me in the back trying to look cool, trying. Okay, next photo. That's my mum and dad. And, of course, uh, they're both in eternity now. And my dad this summer, of course. Next photo. That's my grandma. I put my grandma up because she was a catalyst for generational blessing. And I'll come back to her a little bit later on, but she died at 91. It was my privilege to speak at a funeral. And uh, the nice word for grandma is she was loquacious. It means that she talked a lot. I mean, why use one word when a thousand will do, you know? (laughs) She was incredible. But I tell you, in a pomp, she was one of the best personal evangelists I have ever come across. With humor, with just a great ability to connect with people, sit on a bench, somebody sat next to her. So where do you stand with Jesus? And it's almost like they got drawn in. They never took offense at it. It's incredible. The gift of an evangelist. Amazing. Next one. That's me at Bible college. And there's two of my buddies. What, the, the guy on, uh, on my right was my best man, and I was his, and uh, we're still in touch today. Next. This is me on graduation day. And uh, so uh, uh, a uh, diploma in theology with distinction. And... Uh, <laughs> and I've still got the certificate downstairs in the office so <laughs> next <clears throat> three weeks later July the 28th 1979 three weeks after graduating at Bible College we got married and the amazing interest of detail because I've not earned anything for two well I'd earned some money in between the two years but that paid for the second year's fees and in the purpose of God God made Sharon redundant which seemed a disaster but it raised some money for us to pay for our wedding now, we laugh now because we've still got the bills. You know, and some of you just say, well, you won't even get a sandwich for that nowadays. But I'll tell you, it was a great day. 28th of July, 34 years this year. And then God bless us with two kids, so that's our Miriam. And we'll move on to Alison. Yeah, you know, babies are messy, aren't they? And they are in the church at times as well in terms of bringing them to maturity. We'll move on, Chris, thanks. That's us on holiday. We couldn't manage Benidorm, so we used to go to Boscombe in Bournemouth. <laughs> Next. Uh, if you look at Alison there, I think I said, no, you can't have another ice cream. You know, but uh, <clears throat> next. That's one of my favorites. That's on Brown Sea Island in Paul Harbour. And Alison's just as big as the, the post. And uh, love that photograph. She's 26 now, of course. And, and that's us all grown up. Uh, that's sort of last year, I think. Uh, just having a, a, a meal in Nottingham. And uh, proud of our kids. And uh, I'm sure you are too. I put that in because God has led me in ministry because I left Bible college three weeks after that I got married and a week after that we were running a church. And, uh, and if I can say with humanity, friends, we didn't make a mess of it. 24 years of age, 
ran out on the east coast in Skegness, Desmond Sewer in Skegness for a few years and come back. And I'm, I'm leading the church. I preached over 100 times in the first year. Twice on a Sunday in Bible study. I don't know how I did it, but if you get a little bit from me now, it all started then. Uh, not because I'm preaching the same messages, but you know what I'm saying. And then if we just go to the next one, this was this year, so the joys of being able to do ministry. And this year under the re- release of Christian and Arena Eldership, so I'm able to go to Uganda and so into 70 pastors. What a, what a fortnight. Uh, just a great time. And then just a couple, oh, that's the final one. So I thought I'd bring it full circle. So this is me, sort of a few weeks ago on holiday. We had a day in London, great day. Parliament Square, Big Ben in the background. And uh, that's it. What is the moral of this story? Well, the moral of this story is that if you're a young guy this morning that's been stood in front of the mirror coming, you're here for hours on end. Be afraid. <laughs> be very afraid. Because I proved today that once I had hair, but you were born, it can end up like this, you see. Yeah. You need to pray for the anointing of Christian. <laughs> story. Thanks, Chris. And uh, photos tell a story. So out of that, I, I, and on the basis of the verses I read earlier, I want to make seven statements. They don't really point to the statements. And uh, I'll, I'll highlight one or two things, and, uh, and then we'll be through. The first statement is this. God is always breaking into time and lives, mostly by using other people, his treasure chest, to bring about his eternal purposes. So... Just recently, Sharon's older brother, who went to Australia in 1966, was a called minister of the Lord and served in Western Australia for many years, Vincent Smith. And uh, he sent us a memoir. With, with the greatest respect, is it the most best-written book I've ever read? No. But the early chapters reveal something of God breaking into time. <clears throat> because in 1951, Sharon's family lived in Barnsley in South Yorkshire. <clears throat> and uh, there was a man that used to travel from South Kirby. His name was Pastor Fred Ingham. He was a pit deputy at Frickley Colliery. But he had a passion to plant a church in Barnsley, on the edge of Barnsley. And he used to come every week and sometimes he used to cycle seven miles there, seven miles back. He started the meeting in a railway waiting room. And there was a man that used to hear him preaching and Fred deliberately timed his messages to coincide with shift changes. And a man by the name of Mr. Jim Barra worked at the local glassworks. He used to walk past as Fred was preaching and was drawn by something of what he said. To the extent that he went to the meeting and then a couple of weeks later he took his wife to the meeting He didn't take her, he pushed her there because she was in a wheelchair. And uh, God amazingly blessed the meeting and Fred said, I'd like to pray for her. And the woman was miraculously healed and pushed the wheelchair home, completely healed instantaneously in the power of Jesus. A few weeks after that, Mr. and Mrs. Barr's daughter, Sharon's mum, Margaret Smith, now in her early 40s, nowhere near God, didn't know anything about God, decided she'd go and say to Pastor Fred, Pastor Fred, thanks for praying for my mum. She's been gloriously healed. Incredible. Sharon's mum got wonderfully born again. And when I say she got born again, she got born again. Her life completely turned around. And I'll come to it later, friends, but it was costly for her mum to get born again because of what she has to go home to after church on a Sunday to a very irate husband. But she refused to budge. The reality of that is, friends, God breaking into time using people that is now three, four generations later, particularly on the other side of the world in Australia, there are people serving God in ministry because a little pastor preached in a railway waiting room when the shift changes were coming. Somebody came and got saved. His wife got healed. 
And the rest is history. At the very same time, in the 1950s, 51, there was a pastor that came to Nottingham from, from London. His name was Norman Bandy. And he began to plant a church in the suburbs of Nottingham. My grandma and granddad had moved from Wigan in Lancashire. And uh, they'd moved to Nottingham for work. They were music hall people. They were in the early 40s. No time for Jesus. Didn't know anything about the gospel. And Norman Bandy and his wife uh, planted a church, started in a home. And that church now is Strelly Church, where Mark Wheatley, who came from this church, now pastors and has pastored faithfully for many years. And Grandma, the catalyst, got wonderfully born again. Wonderfully born again. And uh, we can caricature these people at times and say, well, they, they got a bit in on themselves and it was church every night and all of those. But I want to tell you, friends, God used these people. And the fact of the matter is that Grandma's son, my Uncle Frank, who's just celebrated his 80th birthday, went to Australia in 1963 and alongside Sharon's brother, we never met him, became the catalyst for a great move of God in Western Australia. When Vin took over the church in Perth in 1966 with 80 people, it was the fifth biggest Pentecostal church in Australia. Look what the Lord's done. There's 78 OG churches up and down that West Coast now that are working for God. Hillsong Church with 30,000 people comes out of a Assemblies of God route. Because people heard God and did something. And of course, there's me here. People say, you like a newspaper, don't you? Yeah, well, because my grandma did. Now you have to gather it all up all over the room after she'd finished with it. But, but she loved reading. Gave me a passion to read. And one day I went in the school holidays to play on her back lawn that became our house on 299 Broxter Lane because it was a fantastic field on the back corner garden. And... Uh, I couldn't get in. I couldn't get in the back. I couldn't get in the front. And I'm, I'm peering through the window. And there she is, knelt against the sofa, praying, praying, you see. And the prayers of people impact you without you realizing. Christian heard the call. His prayer makes a difference. And so that became a catalyst for God to do. 1975, Sheila and me met at the General Conference of Assemblies of God. Sort of, we didn't even know each other. We lived 55 miles apart. But somehow the tracks came together in the purpose and destiny of God because God's got a plan for your life to be my soulmate. I can't think of anybody else that would have done life with me. There's no other woman that would put up with it. There she is. I mean that. I'll come to that if I get time later. God is always breaking in. Always breaking in. In 2013, God is breaking into life. And you may have come today with a work colleague, a mate from school, a student friend, your grandma, your granddad. You might just think, yes, oh, when's he going to finish? But you're here this morning in the destiny of God for God to break into your life. You're here today and you're the first Christian in your family. What a privilege. Because what you've got to believe now is that three, four, five generations down from you, people are going to pick up the juices of your faith and be mighty to reach the nation and the nations. Secondly, briefly, the power of generational blessing should never be un underestimated you've heard it this morning as we tell the stories one generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts and i've already alluded to the fact that Graham was an amazing catalyst in our family for the glory of god pray for your kids friends battle for them don't live with a defeated spirit expecting them to turn from god expect them to love god and Brian Houston said recent, recently that church prevents a perfect opportunity for parents to exemplify priorities to their children in a destiny-defining way. Bring your kids to church if you possibly can. I know it's a pain at times, but do it anyway. I know that they start to sort of battle for their sort of supremacy in terms of decision-making, but do it anyway. Believe that God will do something amazing 
for Jesus' sake. Did you see that quote recently about grandparents? It says that children given to grandparents are a blessing from God for you not killing your kids when they were teenagers. And and if you wanted to kill your kids in their teens, we've all been there. But pray for them. Prophesy in the bedroom. Believe for the goodness of God. If you're here today, and I say this very carefully as a parent that sometimes feels broken and wrecked because your kids have said no to your faith, we have to give them the right to do that. Then please don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. God can cause a song to be resounding again in their hearts for the glory of God. Briefly, number three. Never treat lightly or contemptuously those people that are closest to you and pouring most into you. See, my story is about great people that God's brought across my life that have blessed me. My first Sunday school teacher was Pauline Warwick, who emigrated to to, uh, Australia. The first Bible verse I ever learned was in Sunday school, John 3, 16. It seemed to go on forever. But Auntie Marie says that if you'll learn this verse off by heart by next week, everybody will get a bar of chocolate. That was good enough for me. I've learned it. I've learned it. I've learned it. And then I got John Warwick that used to run a boys club at Strelly. And they used to run what they used to call a YSL group alongside. But actually what John did was so a loving of the word of God into my life. And here we are, 1968. It's still in pretty good condition. I've got a New Testament from the Young Sowers League, the YSL. What I've got to do for that is to answer a question on every chapter of the Gospels. I've got a certificate. And then every chapter of the New Testament, which you'll find I think is 259. 13. And I got one of these. I've kept it. Because somebody came alongside and sowed a love for the word of God into my heart. And did an amazing thing. People that were close to me. I was probably a pain at times. But they loved me anyway. And then I started getting invites to preach. And Andy mentioned his late dad last week. Being the purpose of God went to eternity at 58. But Dave planted a church in Calverton many years ago with his wife. and Andy and Aaron and the kids. Mining village. And at 18, 19 years of age, David said, come across and give us a Sunday night. And he sort of championed my course to preach the word of God. People that were close to me. I understand, friends, that you can access almost any preacher in the world at any moment, at any hour of the day. But some of them don't know you. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to them, but you need to get close to the people that do know you. That sometimes are disappointed and let down, but are going to sow into your life anyway. Because that's discipleship. Number four, your choices can determine or jeopardize your destiny. One great veteran preacher says life's a choice. I understand that God's in control, and I've tried to give assent to that this morning, friends. But he needs cooperation from you. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Another preacher says that sin often starts out as fun, and it really does. And the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. But over 34 years of ministry, I've been in enough prisons and enough institutions of various kinds and sat in enough broken context to realize that sin spreads, sin spoils, sin separates, and sin scars. And I want to encourage you today, friends, to be people that will rise up and be what God has called you to be. C.H. Spurgeon went out to preach one night and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he got back, Mrs. Spurgeon said, Charles... How did the service go? He says, oh, he says, there were seven and a half saved tonight. She says, oh, wonderful. Seven adults and one child. He says, no, no, no. Seven children and one adult. Because they've got their whole life to give unto 
the Lord. And I want to encourage you today, friends, to, to serve God. You see, I, I've, I've had the joy of leading people to the Lord at 30, 40, 50, and 60, and 70. I've had the joy of people coming to church in retirement and finding Jesus and saying, if only I'd have found this years ago. If only I'd have found this years ago. And I say unapologetically a clear call to our young people today that you don't need to do six to know that it's going to wreck your lungs. You didn't need to do drugs to know that you can go to a dependency that can ruin you and those nearest to you. You don't need to get hammered every, every weekend to prove that you're in with the crowd. You don't need to sleep around forever looking for the right partner. You don't need to do it. And God says that's still a great story. Now, some of you have gone down that route and God's drawn you back and there's no condemnation from this, the, me this morning. I love prodigals coming back to Jesus, friends. And the red carpet's out in Arena Church for every prodigal that wants to find the Lord. But you don't have to go there. And your decision-making now positions you for an amazing destiny and the purposes of God. Things happen in life that can only be, will only be fully understood in heaven. 1 Corinthians 13, 9, we know in part. Talking to Michael Hooten, the long-standing Baptist pastor of this town some years ago. And he says, Phil, the way I describe this verse is, I'm walking down a hall of a house. You know those doors, and they've got sort of like a, a glass in them that isn't plain. And somebody's on the other side of the door that's rang the bell and wanting to come in. And you can't quite make the figure out, but you open the door. Ah, hello. That's life. That's life. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that we've got everything that we need for this life. But the reality is every one of us will have some questions. We know in part there is coming a day when we'll open the door into eternity and say, that's why. That's why. And I've loved the stories of the guys over this week because there's been plenty of smiles in terms of communicating the stories. And on the photo gallery, there were plenty of smiles today. But of course, inevitably for all of us as well, there's smiles, there's tears. See, Sharon's late sister Brenda lost a boy, John 10, walking across the road and killed and not too into eternity in a moment. And I've shared on other occasions of uh, my mum at 66, just planning retirement with my dad devastated by a series of strokes. The next 11 years of her life, a broken body and an alert mind. Never fed, never ate normally from that word go, never spoke again verbally, never able to get out of bed. Stopped visiting on a Sunday afternoon because the reality is she couldn't even cry normally. And Paul Stokes shared about miscarriage and in 1986, I took our Alice and uh, our Miriam to watch the village cricket one Sunday afternoon. Sharon was pregnant. Came back and said, I don't fear very well. And that Tuesday evening when I'm walking through Littlemore Hospital with a cage corridor on stone ground, so it was echoing, and every step I took, the enemy says, so where's your God now? And so we could go on. And around the life of the church, friends, there were questions. I'm talking to Anne Doonan, who's been amazing, one of the magnificent seven at Man Mansfield over the last three years. She said to me last week, she said, oh, the taxi driver got really stuck into me about his daughter dying. She says, and then I told him that my daughter died of cancer at 14. And I had a beautifully articulate email from Laura Gadsby, who's part of our church some weeks ago. And you know that we've been praying for Poppy, but the story's actually bigger than that. It's not for me to talk about it here in terms of Laura's family. And uh, I said to Sharon, I'm going to read this to you. I never got to the end. One of the first funerals I did was a cot death. And by the time I was 40, having left Bible college at 24, four of my contemporaries were dead in eternity. And these things happen, friends. 
we can get bitter or better. And we've determined to get better. And one day we'll get it. Briefly, Christian ministry is costly. And I'm going to talk on the cost of the kingdom tonight. And uh, a great song from Noel Richard some years ago says that the blood of the martyrs has made the church strong. Are you okay for two or three more minutes? Paul said in Corinthians, when they spread rumors about us, we put a good word in for them. We're treated like garbage, potato peelings from kitchen's culture. 2 Corinthians 1, it was suffering in opposition so bad we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we were being put out to death so that it was all over for us. This is the apostle. Martin Luther King, whose amazing speech we celebrated the 50th anniversary of this week, said, uh, I won't be leaving any money behind. I just want to leave behind a committed life. And Sharon and me, when we were... Naive 20-somethings and just got engaged. We says to Jesus, Jesus, whatever it costs, we'll follow you. If only we knew. We'll follow you. And of course, people say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you can say those prayers, but it all sort of comes out together, doesn't it? It works all out and everything. But the reality is, friends, it's cost us. It's cost us. No good comparing me to a normal 58-year-old bloke that's paid his mortgage off and got all his pension plans sorted out. It cost us. And I get a bit queasy about that in the natural sometimes, but God's never let us down. He's not about to start now. If you're going to follow Jesus, friends, there's going to be times it's going to cost you. But I want to tell you, God will be amazingly faithful in the journey. Number seven, God has a special plan for your life because you are special to him. <clears throat> it may be that you left the Christian faith and you're finding your way back and that's absolutely wonderful. It may be that you sat in the meeting this morning and you've messed up like Josh told us about earlier and you feel condemned. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And God loves to restore and push us into our purpose. And I want to encourage you today, friends, to press into all that God's got for you. It will be resisted. But don't let anything stop you. Be full of faith and take courage. And the picture will become clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. I've shared on several occasions that I just thank God for a prophetic picture that sits so clear over my life that I don't have time to articulate this morning that gets me out of bed in the morning to serve the purposes of the Lord. God's treasure chest. Stories that live. The story this morning, friends, is of an ordinary lad from an ordinary family in an ordinary home with an ordinary education, that met an extraordinary God in the power of Jesus Christ. There's no earthly reason this morning that I should have the privilege of ministering to you, of having the joy of being in ministry, of serving with a great friend and colleague like Christian, of being part of our great fellowship of assemblies of God and standing with John Partington in these days. Absolutely no earthly reason. But when our responses collide with the eternal purposes of the Lord, who knows what God can do. So if we're going to blow a horn, let's sure, make sure that we blow it for the Lord. Let's pray.